What's up everyone and welcome to episode 168 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. Um, so we're back after having a, a little week off, uh, hope you didn't miss us too much. Um, I spent a week out in the mountains, out in the wilderness, needing to recharge my batteries and yeah, after this shitty year, this it's been this year that 2020 has given to us all, the wonderful gift that is 2020. Um, I really fucking needed that break. So yeah, apologies for no episode last week, but we're back this week and I think with a with a cracking guest and we've got a few more lined up in the coming weeks. So thank you everyone for sticking with us, sticking around, checking us out. Um, also massive shout out to everyone who checked out our last episode uh, with Sam from Ithaca. Got some really good feedback from that one. Um, and yeah, just it's lovely to hear what you guys think. So as always, uh, if you're new to the show, if you're a regular listener, then please, as always, um, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us to on. Uh, give us a rating, give us a review, share us, tell your friends, do whatever you like. But yeah, just the continued support is always very much welcome and grateful and appreciated. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, just also, there's someone who's kind of touch upon a little thing personal to me it's not massive but just because we didn't put out an episode last week which would have coincided with it uh i didn't get to mention that it was straight edge day on october 17th which i know a lot of people probably don't care about or think is a bit of a joke but if you're a regular listener to this show you'll know that um straight edge is a big thing for me personally and it's also something that we talk a lot about on this show with guests who our straight edge and their kind of journey, their uh, discovery of straight edge and their relationship with it. And yeah, just so just wanted to kind of say happy belated edge day to all my fellow edge brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, that was just kind of something I wanted to, to touch upon. Um, yeah, the other thing that I wanted to kind of just talk about before we get into this week's guest, um, the next issue of An Insight magazine is coming. I know it's been a long time coming, this one, but just due to my mental health not being great, to be totally honest, being overwhelmed by a lot of things and just personally, I've got to be honest, being a bit lazy, I have pushed this back. Um, but on the flip side of that, it is going to be sent out to the printers by the end of this week. So that's positive. So hopefully we'll be having those issues land on my doorstep by the beginning of November with all things going well. So yeah, uh, pre-orders for the next issue will be in the descri uh, description. Episode notes of this week's show. I don't know what I'm talking about now, but yeah, of, as always, like with an insight and this continued support is really appreciated, which I seem to be saying a lot today, but oh well. Um, right, let's get into this week's guest. And this week I am joined by guitarist and vocalist of Doom Metalers, Paul Bearer, uh, Brett Campbell. Um, before we kind of get into this, the the meat and veg of, of the chat, I just want to say a massive thank you to Claire Harris from um, Nuclear Blast, uh, who put up with my stupid schedule at the moment, sort of flip-flopping around with times, uh, me asking for more time with Brett because the initial sort of time slot I was given wouldn't have been long enough for me to kind of get what I wanted out of the conversation so yeah they were just insanely accommodating and kind of kept 
like me in the loop in terms of dates and times available to to sit down with Brett. So I just want to say a massive thank you to to them for yeah being persistent, being patient with me, and being again a massive support of this show. So thank you very much, Claire. Um, during the chat, me and Brett talk about uh, how kind of like when he started playing heavy music, like he just wanted uh, the bands he to to be in to be like a a physical assault of the body um how when Paul Bearer sort of started how it kind of seemed to be an accessible band for people crossing over to to do music and how it kind of has this more lighter side in comparison to quote-unquote stereotypical doom bands even though they are very much a doom band um and how the band have kind of always sort of had this uh sort of uplifting sound and feel to their music and how they've always kind of strived to to find beauty in everything and that's kind of portrayed in their music even though it it falls into this darker world of doom um so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat i have with brett and i'll see you on the other side Cool, right. Joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist and vocalist of Doom Metalers, Paul Bearer, Brett Campbell. Brett, thank you very much for taking some time to have a little chat with me. Um, how is everything? How are you sort of doing gearing up with the release of the record? Oh, you know, I'm excited about the the record coming out for sure. Um, everything else is a little more uh, <laughs> iffy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, exo- uh, I'm, I'm stoked to, to get it out there finally. Yeah. Well, how we always kind of like to start this show is we always take our guests back to their roots, back to their origins, so to say. So how I open it up is what was your kind of first exposure to alternative music? What can you remember, like, being the first port of call for you? Um, in terms of, like, underground stuff or just, like, kind of, like, rock and roll in general? or Yeah, like, well, just kind of, kind of a bit of both, really. Like, what kind of turned you on to sort of, like the alternative thing to then like lead you digging into the underground world, I guess. Right. Um, um, well, I kind of got into, you know, typical middle, early 2000, early 2000s middle school or stuff, you know, like, uh, what, what kind of stuff, you know, like system of a down and stuff like that. And then I got into Nirvana. Eventually, I guess I got extremely into Metallica for, for a bit there. And I guess after that, I, my first like real exposure to underground stuff was Opeth right around the time that Blackwater Park came out, I guess, sometime around. Okay. Um, and so that, that, that blew my mind. Um, I'd never, I was completely unfamiliar with, you know, they're not like pure death metal, but I'd never heard vocal <laughs> yeah. that or anything, you know, I'd never heard death metal before. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that kind of sent me down a road of trying to explore more like metal and progressive rock and just like at that, that was like kind of the Napster era. So I, you know, I'd spend a week like downloading a song of something, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of, like, interesting, but it was like any kind of music. I, like I had no, like I was looking for metal and then I'd like, you know, basically I was just trying to find like any kind of weird music that I could find. And so mm. I would like download stuff off of Napster. And then if I liked the band, I'd try to either order their s- CDs at a store or, 
uh, order them online, I guess. There was still the early days of being able to do that, but, you know, yeah, I was just kind of open to anything, trying to find every every kind of music that I could. Yeah. So in terms of, like, if we take Opeth as an as a example, like, was there somebody that kind of put you onto them, or was it just that kind of you were digging around and just stumbled upon them and you were like, oh, shit, this is something new? I think I straight up just bought it at a CD store. Um, I, th- I think uh, because especially, I mean, at least where I was, where I'm from, it was very difficult to find metal in general. And um, I think uh, it was like a FHM or something. Well, something I can't remember, but there was some, that was the, the deluxe edition at the time of Blackwater Park that had uh, the two, the bonus CD with like a couple extra songs on it. I just thought it, I mean, it looked dark and kind of mysterious. I think I just picked it up randomly at a at a record store. I don't, who knows? I don't know. I was like on <laughs> forums and shit. I mean, there's that's that's that was a long time ago. Kind of like just a lot of different <laughs> yeah. in between then and now. <laughs> so then, kind of like off that, like did you, as you say, like kind of just like downloading stuff off Napster and and things like that. But are you have you always been one of these people that's kind of like actively searched for for new bands and things like that or was it kind of people putting you onto to things how did you kind of dig deeper so to say uh it was totally a solo solo thing i didn't know anybody else who was into that kind of music whatsoever I was, mm. like you know at that point i was living in a suburb of little rock arkansas it's not really a cultural like hub of any sort okay so, um, you know, my, the closest thing that I, of friends that I had that were into metal were into kind of, you know, more like surface level stuff. And I didn't even really have that many friends that were into metal to begin with. And as I started doing it, some of my close buddies, like, also were into, started doing the same thing. So as time went on, we were exploring bands and stuff. But um, no, I, I didn't have any kind of like older siblings or friends or anything who were who were into basically like weird music. So <laughs> yeah. I, kinda, I would go on uh, like BBS, like old school, like message boards and find people's recommendations, check them out and go from there, try to find the CDs somehow, which was a, a task in itself at that point. Mm. Cause w- were you one of these people, like I was very much kind of into it, like, especially like going to like record stores and kind of flicking through and like being drawn to the artwork because I think that kind of ties into Paul Bearer a little bit in terms of your artwork's very striking but it kind of sounds like that was the case with the Opeth stuff is like if you saw artwork then no matter what they like they could sound like absolute shit but you were drawn to that initially so was that kind of how you were discovering music as well? Oh totally yeah and still do I mean especially in uh in in record stores like which I haven't been in one in a while because of the pandemic but oftentimes especially with like older records if there's something that just looks kind of like offbeat and interesting then I'll just buy it just to see what it is yeah especially if you can't tell very obviously what kind of music it is it it can be (laughs) yeah like you find a like three dollar record from 1976 and it's like I have no idea what the hell this is but whatever let's let's find out you know I love that that feeling of discovery like yeah nowadays it's so 
we're just like inundated with like content constantly and like media of all all forms and it's nice to have like a slow delivery system of of music like that's why i still listen to vinyl and stuff um aside from the kind of like totemistic aspect of having like a physical medium um it's just fun to have to physically go find something that looks interesting by digging through piles of potentially unsorted records find something you've never heard of and then just see what it is like that that feeling that I got when I was first, you know, as a teenager getting into music like that, that was a, that was a really exciting feeling or like going and finding some like weird looking VHS tape, you know, like my kind of, a lot of my tastes now were based in that, those kind of activities that I used to be able to do more easily. Now everything's just streaming, you know? Yeah, yeah. And in terms of you actually like exploring music and playing music, obviously we know you now as the guitarist and vocalist of Paul Bearer, but was guitar always the, the instrument that you were drawn to or did you dabble with anything else before kind of landing on that? Where did that journey start? I uh, played saxophone in, in the school band. and Oh, sick. Yeah. That's actually kind of how I got, got into guitars because... Uh, and subsequently got less into saxophone, but was because um every once in a while they would let like students have basically what amounts to like a free day and they just bring in like guitars and play like so the people bring in their instruments like drums or guitars bass and stuff and i was just like damn this is loud as hell <laughs> this is great <laughs> yeah. you know it just seemed so much fun and i was like instantly drawn to it and i was like i want you know with the guitar you can you know, like a, a saxophone in, in that band band setting, you know, like it's a tiny part of a much larger ensemble. Yeah. Like with the guitar, I can write stuff, you know, um, more easily. It's a polyphonic instrument. So, uh, yeah, it's like I was drawn to it and the, just the energy of, of everything, you know, when you're a teenager, you got like a lot of pinup energy. At least I did. And so it just seemed kind of, I was just, just drawn to it and, uh, my parents got me a like a cheapo little guitar like epiphone pack thing that came with like a 10 watt amp and i just like it completely consumed my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but do you reckon like nowadays if you picked up a saxophone you'd still be able to bow out a tune or not i don't know i actually recently got it from it was been at my parents house for 15 years i recently got it but it needs a new uh uh ligature and and reeds and stuff i've been kind of meaning to try it out i don't know probably having smoked for 15 years it would be a lot harder now than it was <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and um and obviously just in terms of like kind of, as you say you were like delving into the underworld like underground sound of music a bit more and and things like that and I always find it interesting, especially with people that live in the States, because I know it's such a vast country. So, like, music scenes differ from not just state to state, but town to town kind of thing. Sure. So when you were kind of discovering that side of things, was there, like, a live music scene where you were growing up in, in Little Rock? Or was that something you kind of discovered a little bit later on? Um, It was a little bit later, but what seems like a long time back then is, like, when you look at it, from 
perspective of many years later, it's like, oh, this was all within like a year or a series of months. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when I was like, probably like 17, 17-ish, started kind of trying to explore the local scene more. And, you know, I had friends in high school who were in bands and I, I tried to start a band in high school, but it, I couldn't find anybody that was like, this sounds kind of like, shitty or whatever but i couldn't find anybody who could play my stuff it was like <laughs> yeah I, it was a little more tactical than any of my my friends who at the time who played instruments were able to play yes so um uh so yeah i was like well i, I love i want i want to be on stage i want to like write music which i was writing music but um eventually one of my buddies bought this a cd we would go to a, a CD store in, in Little Rock called CD Warehouse, which was, you know, we lived in Bryant, so it's like a 25, 30 minutes away. And uh, he bought a CD from uh, the band Wake, which is from Little Rock, Little Rock, like our Wake. Okay. And uh, we are just like, listen to it, and it blew our tiny little teenage brains. And uh, at that point, that was kind of the, the inroads into like the real Little Rock metal scene that we had been unaware of. And so we started going to shows at, uh, at the sadly defunct downtown music, which is where all the, all the really interesting stuff was happening. And that's, that's where it all truly started. The ball truly started rolling, I guess. Mm. Cause you stood in Arkansas now. Yeah. Mm. So have, how have you kind of, has, as you say, like the, that venue is now defunct, but how have you kind of seen personally, like the music scene change? Has it kind of got better? Has it stayed the same? Like, where is it kind of at now? Well, right now it's non-existent, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I don't know, man. It, 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 it has its ups and downs. I, I feel like the, the metal scene as it was that I fell in love with doesn't really exist anymore. That it was right. Okay. Focused around that's that, that venue. It was, because it wasn't just the local bands of which some some of which are incredibly good like um and still to this day we have really really great bands here but the downtown was like this regional hub that bands from all over would come to play because it had this unique atmosphere and vibe like bands that normally wouldn't stop through little rock would come through play this place because it's such a cool vibe really it was mm. kind of lawless and just i don't know it was a really interesting kind of like mystical place now it's it's almost like receded into the like the depths of legend now but it really was there was like a really cool anything goes kind of vibe there it was, seemed like the cops should have shut it down but i don't know it just seemed like what we're doing here is dangerous and cool and like <laughs> yeah. different, you know, it wasn't just like metal, but like hardcore bands and punk bands would play noise stuff and just like outsider, just weird music. You know, it was a place for people to get together to play like weird shit and hmm. weirdos to go there and do drugs and, you know, whatever, like just shit that, you know, that, uh, typically you can't go to a like commercial space and do, you know, but yeah, it was, it was a really cool spot. Um, 
And I, when it closed down, and I think like probably 2011 or something like that, 20, 2012, I don't know. I have no concept of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> things change. I mean, we still have like venues and stuff here. Like now a lot of the metal shows play at Vino's, which is a, a, a long running um, like club. Um, but yeah, there's not like a hub for metal anymore, but we still got a, a good music scene. We've got some great bands um, and we've got a really good scene for kind of like punk and like kind of like country music and all. all yeah. But, but yeah. I was going to say, so I like whenever I see like, like folk bands or like, as you say, that kind of like indie folk, like <laughs> Little Rock always seems to be a place they hit. So it seems to be mm -hmm. that kind of, yeah by a bit to it yeah but um in terms of like you've actually playing like as you say you were kind of looking to start a band and things like that but was was kind of going to those shows was that kind of like the, a validation kind of point of like oh this is definitely something that i can do like this is an achievable goal kind of thing yeah 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 um you know growing up where i did i was like it was a fucking nothing town with nothing to do we had like a mm. wall you know, like there's, it was just fast food, banks, churches, and Walmart, you know, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. sucked. And so you get this, you get this impression that there's like absolutely nothing that you can do. There's nothing here. There's nothing to do, but discovering that not only is there like a valid, lively music scene playing the kind of music that I love, but it's like, bands that are like head and shoulders above like most other bands in their genre like going and watching like dead bird and wake um play back at that time just like it's like not only are these bands competent they're fucking incredible you know so it's like well i can do it too i can do it too i can do it here um so that was whenever i went to college um i met joe almost immediately Mm. within weeks you know and we started trying to form a band like right away because our initial meeting like he found me on on facebook i think in like the first or second year of facebook existing when you used to have to have a, a college or a university uh email to, to sign up yeah yeah it had stayed that way my god um but uh we jammed with these two other dudes and the other guys like did, didn't like what I was doing very much, but Joe and I immediately had this kind of like psychic musical bond. We were <laughs> yeah. immediately. And we part, partly because I started playing like this fucking great, like wake riff and Joe knew the riff as well and started playing it. And that was initially like, well, you know, wake. So, and then we just kind of started jamming and realized that we had like this synergistic, like musical thing just from our nature, our very nature. And that we were kind of had similar, similar goals with what we wanted to do with music. And so it just kind of took off, took off from there. We, we started a, we tried to start a more like traditionally formatted band and it kind of didn't work out. And then, uh, ended up doing a kind of experimental like drone um, band with my friend Paul 
who was one of my buddies from from Bryant uh, called called Sports, and we did that for several years, or like three or four years, and uh, well, that kind of eventually just sort of turned into Paul Bearer over mm. over time. Well, because that's what I was going to say. So, like, from doing reading and sort of, like various people probably know of the existence of sports and things mm-hmm. like that and how that kind of did, as you say, kind of eventually evolved into what Paul Bearer is. But do you class that as your first band or was there kind of anything before sports that you kind of really consider as a band or, or not really? Um, I did. I had a, uh, I think this was maybe simultaneous to sports, but I had a, I had a project with, uh, well, a very revolving lineup, but essentially the core of it was me and uh, my friend Paul's brother, Chris. Um, play, he was playing drums and I played guitar. We sometimes had another guitar player. Sometimes I think there was a different drummer, but it was called uh, High Command. And uh, we only played like, I don't know, six or seven shows. It was some cool hmm. shit though. Like I've thought about pilfering one of the riffs or something and put it into a ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So in terms of like sports, as you say, that band was kind of doing stuff for a couple of years before it kind of melded into Paul Bearer. But were you kind of out doing shows? Were you touring? Like what, what kind of happens with that band? Yeah, we played shows all the time. Uh, the problem was that we played, we played a, a couple of out of town shows. We played in, we played in Shreveport. Um, we played like this noise fest in in Denton, Texas, which was really fun. It was the first time that we ever played that people were like extremely stoked to see us. Okay. Because that we were actually playing to like noise fans, and you know we we're playing in this house and like we used to play like we had a not the same quality of, of of amps but like the same quantity as like sun or something like that we just had a fucking <laughs> yeah. wall of shitty amps um and like tons of strobe lights like too many strobe lights so it was a it was like a sensory assault on every level like when you it was physically loud and also it would you know fuck with your sense of like face with all the strobe lights going but um yeah, we like blew the power. Like every time we start to crescendo, <laughs> the power would blow, and the crowd would be like, "Yeah!" <laughs> like, damn, this is pretty cool. People actually enjoying what we're doing. But yeah, we played. Uh, yeah, we played probably I don't know, thirty or forty shows as, as sports. But you know, we carrying that giant wall of gear around with basically like car. We'd have to basically enslave our friends in order to. <laughs> like get all our gear <laughs> like recruit them to do shit that they really didn't want to do help get our all of our amps to shows so we'd, we'd sometimes make like two or three trips to like from different towns to little rock to play to play shows just to get all our gear there so it was a, a massive pain in the ass and we needless to say didn't have a huge like you know ma- uh, like droolingly like enthusiastic crowd so we we're like well <laughs> yeah maybe we should do something else <laughs> so then in terms of like when things can come to pool bearer like i'm not going to go into like the whole history of the formation because like people can look that up and things like that but what i find want to ask you 
for you because obviously you're now sort of doing vocal duties and stuff so was that always the the idea for you to do the vocals and was that something that you'd always wanted to kind of try your arm out or was that just something that kind of evolved when you guys were playing around with the sound um whenever i first started teaching myself guitar i i learned to sing and play at the same time um, right intentionally just because i figured when i started a band later i mean i've always been a kind of like do it all yourself kind of guy like from the very beginning i was using like audacity or something to like write fully fleshed out songs like mm. Um, so, uh, writing music just kind of came to me very, very easily and like naturally. So I, I'd hear these full arrangements in my head and write everything, you know? So I was like, well, from this, as hard as it is to start a band, I can't find a drummer. I can't find anybody who can play my stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I'm not going to even try to fuck with having a vocalist, potentially like bring in vocalist level egos and shit like that. Like, no, no, no. I'm just going to learn to do it myself out of basically simplicity. Like, <laughs> it's the ergonomic <laughs> yeah. choice, pretty much. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I did. I, I've never really considered myself a singer. It's just I do it because I, I do. I just do it because I do it. I don't know. I, I've gotten better over time, I guess. But. Mm. I, I don't I, I don't consider myself a singer any more than I consider myself like a guitarist. I just those are things that I do in order to make music, you know. I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. It is. As long as it gets the the song across, like whatever the most effective delivery system for melodies and and feelings and stuff, that's that's what really matters. Mm. And in terms of like the the sound that Paul Bearer has because I I think in the early days people may have kind of criticized you for for the sort of more melodic nature mm. to the Paul Bearer sound because I think like even from the early days you adopted this kind of doom metal tag but obviously as soon as you say that everyone kind of thinks like sort of really downtones guitars like guttural vocals like satanic this sat whatever but your music obviously throughout time has kind of progressed, but it's always, to me anyway, had this like uplifting vibe to it, which is something, sp specifically when I was kind of dis like discovering Doom music, wasn't something that I was familiar with. But for you, was that always what you wanted to drive with Paul Bearer, was to have like a more melodic sound to it, rather than it being a quote-unquote, just another generic Doom band? Sure. And well, I always found amusing people who criticize this for being too melodic it's like those people just probably don't actually like know doom very well <laughs> there's tons yeah. of fucking melodic doom bands there's like loads of them it's like just people like well it's got this clean vocals that's not doom it's like well you don't fucking listen to doom you've heard like four bands like <laughs> yeah um i mean there's tons of bands that have like melodic vocals that are that are like way more traditionally doom than we are um, but yeah, like, like I say, it's uh, mel melodies I've always felt, especially with, you know, highly melodic, melodic music, the instrumentally, it's extremely melodic. So in a lot of ways, especially on the early stuff, I would treat vocals in the same way that I would treat like a guitar lead. So if you listen to 
our first album particularly where the vocals are pretty spare compared to some of our later stuff the vocals would come in and serve almost the same role as like a guitar lead would it's a it's a way of delivering delivering melodies you know so if i if i did harsh vocals then that would not be possible you know also i'm not yeah. not very good at harsh vocals <laughs> yeah so that was another one but i just yeah that wasn't interesting and we were trying to like it's like i've uh you know we were trying to forge our own path and do something different we wanted to kind of take that like ultra heavy like kind of american approach to to metal like in particularly the arkansas scene that like extremely heavy sound and kind of fuse it with the more melodic sort of european approach to to doom like like the kind of like peaceville type stuff or um and but then you know just have these almost like uh classic you know classic sung vocals like you know old mm. like you know the fucking beach boys you know some shit yeah, like yeah yeah and in terms of kind of like the the band actually sort of going out and kind of getting a bit of a reputation and, and things like that like i know as you mentioned, you've done these out of town shows with, with sports, but obviously Paul Bearer is probably the first band that you've done like extensive touring with and stuff like that. So I always find it interesting, like what that, what your kind of first experience of that was like, and kind of going out there and putting the band out there, like what was your kind of first touring experience like, and did it kind of live up to any expectations you had or did it exceed them? Like, what was it all like for you? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think our first tour might have been with Royal Thunder. I think it must. Oh no, it was. Uh, I think it was with Royal Thunder. Mm. But anyway, I mean, we did we did some other we we played like South by Southwest and stuff. We did some one off traveling shows, but our early tours were pretty short there were maybe like five or six shows i think right and we were doing them in uh this like shitty dodge van that joe had bought for like twelve hundred dollars <laughs> off of some of the uh just i guess proceeds from, from some of our shows we managed to get enough money to actually maybe he just put it on his credit card i really don't know but we were i mean it was <laughs> We toured the hell out of that van. We we got our <laughs> yeah worth for sure, but um, I mean we were just all complete like fuckos at that point. I mean we were just like we knew nothing about being a band. We knew nothing about fucking anything. So we were just you know drinking and partying and uh, just barely barely had our shit together in any way. Um, so it was a lot of fun because we were basically just going around the country and meeting people and getting wasted and watching shows and <laughs> yeah. doing what we did at home, but abroad. So yeah. And we got, got to get out of little rock, which is always, always good. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was a blast and, you know, over time as we did that more and more and had experience of being around like professional, like bigger bands and stuff who did that all the time, you know, we've, we've gradually, figured it out and 
I think mm. we're pretty professional nowadays, but <laughs> yeah. we, uh, I don't think my liver could take what we used to do anyway, nor what I <laughs> do. But, I mean, we'd just get on stage, just piss drunk and shit. We were drinking whiskey on stage. And I mean, that's what we knew. That's what we'd seen. That's what we did here. And that's what other bands did. So we would just go around the country getting fucking plastered and playing shows, probably terrible, terrible shows, <laughs> but it was fun. It was definitely fun. And then in t- the other thing I always kind of find interesting is like the kind of growth point of a band. And I think like, so for me personally, I discovered you off around Foundations of Burden, I think, but obviously kind of, yeah, went back and obviously listened to Sorrow. But like, I think with any band that's obviously like you're now on album four, but there's always like a natural progression of growth of like gaining new fans and whatever. But was there, is there a specific point that you, that you can remember where like there was more attention coming to you and maybe like I always take the actual fans over friends fans as a kind of a good example, like because you always have like, your friends that are going to support you but then you'll go to a show and there'll be some complete random come up to you and be like oh i love your band you're like who the fuck are you kind of thing so did you ever have that moment of like realization like people give a shit about paul bearer um and at home it took a really long time uh uh the, the metal scene here is pretty small right i knew everybody already but like the kind of like outside i mean there's like my friends here and then there's like some other metalheads who come to shows so i don't really know that well but um I, we didn't start getting popular in little rock until like late foundations of burden era or something maybe okay maybe early heartless type period of time we didn't get coverage in the local press for till heartless now we can now we sell like you know, we can pack a, some of the bigger venues in town, but like it took, I mean, we, we had toured Europe and shit multiple times before we could draw a, a decent crowd in Little Rock, which I found pretty funny. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, but you know, uh, yeah, people would like recognize, recognize me out on the street and shit. And I'd be with my girlfriends or whatever. And I just feel like, think it's weird but after a while i just kind of got used to it i mean it happened the weirdest thing is when it happens like just elsewhere you know like around somewhere else like uh the weirdest one ever was we were in japan and i think we were in like nagoya or something and we were just walking and this dude walked by and was like yeah paul bearer just like what the fuck And we we weren't playing there like uh, we like we hadn't played there already, and it was a guy, a guy who didn't we did play there later, but that guy didn't come to the show. He was just he knew who we were on the street, and it's like that is fucking weird. Yeah, man, especially in Japan, that's fucking <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. But um, so then like in terms of like the band and stuff, like one of the things I wanted to to ask you about is again, kind of like reading other interviews and stuff you've done the the way that you kind of approach sort of writing music and the way, as I've kind of mentioned that the music you has, has this kind of positive vibe is that you kind of want it to sort of 
channel the stresses of life into positives and, and things mm. like that. So I just kind of wanted to dig into that a bit more and sort of like, how do you kind of process that, if that makes sense? Like, because it's easy to say that on on paper and in the sentence, but what's your kind of process of, of making those positives, if that makes sense? I mean, you know, it's it's not a simple solution to, to your life's problems, certainly. But mm. I think, um, especially when it comes down to like writing lyrics, the kind of like rumination that is required to write what I would consider to be good lyrics. Cause I'm not like, I don't sit around and write for fun or anything. It's not just like something I enjoy. I mean, I like writing, I like finishing a song. I, I enjoy like feeling it all come together, but writing lyrics isn't like my favorite part, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. But you know, like everything else I, I, I I want the lyrics to be effective and I want it to be just as important to the song as, as any of the other elements. So when it comes down to like trying to express the subjects that are on my mind or like concerning me or that I want to like exercise these feelings or understand them by pushing them out of me and into a song, a lot of the times like the way that I have to think in order to turn that into like a vaguely like, you know, poetic sort of expression requires just, it requires sort of like meditation on the subject, I think, which I think can be good for help for like a self, you know, kind of understanding. And there've been times where like I wrote a song about something and then didn't really realize what like fully realize what I had meant until later and certain lines you know like i some I, I try to be as intuitive as possible when it comes to basically all aspects of writing songs but there have been certain times where i i I've, my understanding of what a song my like own lyrics has like changed over time which i think is pretty mm. strange but I, but i think once a song is out there it exists in its own like universe it becomes like its own little living entity so i think it's cool that it can be kind of this like vector for uh changing your feelings about something or changing understanding i don't know you know it's not always like fully cathartic i think like the songs themselves don't exist in order to like in lieu of therapy although they do kind of but it's just the process of creative being creative and like making something for me is in itself a really positive thing for me and i really enjoy it mm. so you know even on that very very basic level it's it's good for me and if and if i get to address things that concern me and in, in life for sort of philosophical concerns or even like very personal up to the minute things that are happening in my life like it's a good way to channel that you know once you record it it's almost like the like the scapegoat or whatever not not as the words understood but like the idea of like the classical scapegoat where you take all the sins of the village or whatever put it into this the scapegoat and kill kill the goat or whatever you just yeah yeah take it put it else put it elsewhere and just like in terms of kind of people's perspective perspective of your songs and things like that as i've kind of already 
mentioned for me like it's got that sort of uplifting feeling to it which i think personally makes it stand out from a crowd to other like quote-unquote doom bands like who and i know nowadays there are there is a lot more sort of dynamic within that genre but there's still like the stereotypical like darker side of doom sort of thing which i think a lot of people were drawn to sure and that that's what kind of why they're into that genre but have you found that like fans like old and new of your band have kind of been drawn to you because you have that kind of cathartic element to your music rather than it being all dark doom and gloom probably i mean i i really i enjoy some like really dark and depressing shit myself but I, that's not the kind of stuff that I'm drawn to make. Like, uh, mm. I don't think that's what I'm like. I'm not a very dour person. And most of the time I'm like generally like approach life with like a sense of humor, which is ironic considering the, just the nature of our, our band, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, if I wasn't doing this, I might do like comedy or something instead. But <laughs> yeah, fucking weird. But the... the um, you know, I think there's just like a, a, there's a lot more to the human experience than this darkness. And I'm not like that. Like I've, 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 you know, I've, I've had like depression issues from as long as I can remember, but I don't want that to be like the defining element of my like artistic output to me. Mm. Like I'm more concerned with examining like the, the entirety of the human experience and um you know i'd say we definitely lean towards more the more like challenging parts of life there's not a whole of like a whole lot of uh you know overtly positive songs of ours but i don't think that they're like i think they kind of like are designed to examine the more tough parts of life i think you know some of the music can itself can be kind of pretty or you know hopeful sounding yeah um because i think that like i think part of the idea there is you know there are struggles in life but there's beauty to be found in in everything and i think that Mm. you know ugliness there's so there's so much ugliness in the world i'd rather personally like try to bring things that are somewhat beautiful into it you know, people yeah. say that like beauty and music is like played out or schmaltzy or whatever, and it's more interesting to like play around with dissonance, which I enjoy dissonance stuff too. But I just feel like that my my natural like my natural internal voice is tells me to try to make things that are beautiful. I don't know; it's more interesting to me. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, but in terms of kind of making things that are beautiful stuff, obviously you've got the new day um new record forgotten days coming out in sort of a matter of weeks at the time of us recording this conversation and in obviously like the little media pack that i got sent that kind of says and i I guess it's in the title as well that one of the themes that's kind of focused around the record is kind of the aspects of memories and things like that and this could be me connecting the dots making up my own narrative but because Obviously, you guys have now been a band for, what, 12, 13 years. Have elements of kind of your memories as a band kind of bought into what this record's about? Like 
looking back over the past of what Paul Bearer has done? Um, sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's remarkable how much of an impact just being in this band has had on our lives. Um, mm. You know, the, the, the impetus for starting this band was, you know, the lowest points of Joe and my, my life separately. You know, we were both going through some just really bad times. And, uh, you know, like I, I was on, not trying to be like, look for pity or anything, but I was like basically on the, you know, suicidal and writing mm. music was one of the things that kept me going. I was like, well, I, if I die, I can't create anything new. I can't, I can't do this thing that I love anymore. So it was one, literally one of the things that kept me like getting up every day on days that I would get out of bed. But, um, so it is ironic that this thing that was born out of like strife or whatever has been such a positive, like influence on our lives. Like, you know, it's, yeah. And seemingly other people's too, but definitely directly on ours. Um, uh, I think I lost track of what your initial question was. What, what <laughs> is... Well, just just because like the whole kind of aspect of memories, like have kind of the past sort of memories of the bands sort of filtered into what forms this new record. Sure. Yeah, and I think like the concept. I've always been kind of fascinated with time or like transfiguration, like change and stuff like that. Um, the nature of uh, the nature of memories, and especially the older I get, that and have more memories to to look back on it's interesting to to observe different points of my life from now and how differently they appear and maybe fuzzier or you know you look at something every time you you look at a memory you're looking at it with essentially a different set of eyes as you change mm. so do your perceptions of your past and your history and eventually like you start to me like I look at myself at various points in my life as if it's a different person in in many ways it is we're, we're different people that share experiences but we're not the same as time goes on so I think that's a really fascinating thing I mean some mm. people strive to never change but like for me I've always <laughs> yeah. tried to like I want to change I want to constantly change as a person and become like a better person or what I would consider better, wiser, kinder, like those are my goals as just fundamental goals as a person. And so it's just interesting to see yourself to, to judge yourself, engage yourself at, from, you know, different perspectives as your life goes on. And so I'll look at my, I mean, sure that, that applies to the band too. I think if anything, mm. the most like thorough, like, or the kind of uh, like a through thread of anything would be this uh, of things that haven't inherently changed is like kind of my relationship to music, because I've, I still feel like I have the same goals that I've always had with music, because it is such a, a vast like playground of possibilities. I've always felt like music almost more than any other art form is 
limitless. And so it's always remained something that's really interesting to me. And like from the first time I ever heard music as a small child, I've, I've been really fascinated with it. And that's kind mm. of the like element that unites all, all eras of my life so far. Yeah. And just in terms of kind of like the band's longevity, as I say, like you've been around for sort of like nearly 13 years now, and it probably doesn't sort of like feel like a big like landmark or whatever, but it, or it might do, it might, you might feel like there has been this catastrophic shift in music. But one of the things that I always find cool is that like when you kind of hit these land point marks, you start to see like the next generation of, of fans and bands that are kind of influenced by you. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously like we've started seeing that with like in the doom genre, there are bands that cite Paul Bearer as an influence and things like that. So is that something you find strange or is that something that you're, you kind of like to see when bands are kind of t- taking what you've done and put their own twist on it? How do you kind of feel about still being an active band and influencing younger bands? I mean, it's a huge honor. Um, I mean, if, if, if our stuff is out there inspiring people to start bands using kind of our sound as a, as a reference point or something, I mean, that's great. Uh, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge compliment, you know, to, I, I, I'm excited about that. My, my advice would be to try to find your own sound, not say like, it's mine, because <laughs> yeah. we obviously are influenced by other bands too, but you know, I think it's, I think it's important for every band if you really want to like stand out if you really want to like make a mark to like try to listen to your like deepest inner voice of like music and like try to find a a natural expression of your your feelings and your ideas of course nothing exists in a vacuum and clearly we have influence as well that sometimes we are pretty obvious about but but yeah, no, I've I've heard some I've heard a, a handful of bands recently that I would say seemingly have a like pretty clear like Paul Bear influence. Some of them are pretty mm. awesome, honestly. Like, mm. um, I think it's cool. I'm I'm happy to inspire people. You know, there's there's no uh, there's no better feeling than knowing that you know I'm inspiring someone else to create. Like that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. And I'll start to kind of round things up because I know you've got other other people to be speaking to, but just obviously on the new record, like usually obviously you'd be sort of prepping to do like a tour run or something like that in terms of promoting it. But how have you kind of found sort of promoting it during sort of this COVID time? And have you guys like had any discussions about like what you're going to be doing in the near to far future with, with, with things? Well, I mean, much like everyone, we don't really, there's no way to like gauge even what the near future holds. Uh, mm. You know, we'd like to tour clearly because um, that's how we survive. That's how we make our money for one. <laughs> yeah. So that's nice. It's nice to be able to do that. But um, no, it's, it's weird because we wrote this album kind of under the, the intention that it would be really great. Like it's going to be a good live album. Um, mm. And then we can't play it live. It's like the deeply ironic. Um, but I don't know, man, like the, it's unlikely that we're, that we're probably going to play. I mean, I'll be surprised if we play a show in 2021, if we do, I'll, I would love to be wrong, but um, you know, we'll see. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, in the meantime, it's just like we're trying to. I mean, we even before all this shit started happening, we had like a bunch of other songs, practically like another album's worth of material, and we've still been writing. Oh wow! Up. So probably, I mean, if Nuclear Blast is cool with it, and we get the opportunity to get together, we might just record another album sometime next year. But at very least, we'll do like an EP or something, because. I'm fucking bored, man. We got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, like, if you get the second album done, you could do, like, a, a double album sort of tour kind of thing. That would be fucking epic. I mean, we, yeah, I'm, I guess there's no point in keeping it secret anymore, but, like, our plans originally were to go into the studio in April and record another album and then just, like, release it as a surprise in 2021 that's kind of tied thematically to Forgotten Days. So that was actually part of our, that was actually a plan that we had. Oh, okay. Work now. Yeah, the, yeah, we were supposed to do that and have another album recorded by the time we went on tour for this one. So, but I mean, maybe it's good. We've got more time to like really, really refine, mm. change some songs. But um, yeah, we've got a lot of material in the works and we've still been writing more like Devin and, Mark and I, like Joe lives in New York, so the the other, the rest of us got together the other day and basically just like ended up with another song <laughs> out of a couple of hours practice. <laughs> yeah. On the good side, we're like extremely like efficient as a band now. I think we can like write songs more quickly, like good songs more quickly than we could before. So, I mean, shit. By the end of this, we're just gonna release like a box set of entirely. <laughs> <laughs> perfect um brett how i usually like to end these and it might be a bit difficult because you haven't played any of the new material or anything but and obviously haven't had any live shows for a while but i always like to ask my guests um what their favorite song is with a bit of a twist so what's your favorite paul bearer song that you like to play live and why oh man favorite to play live i mean they're they're fun they're all fun on different levels um Foreigner is really fun, despite having played that at virtually every show we've ever done. Because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the crowd really—that's usually our. I was gonna our say it's a it's a ripper. It's a ripper. It's the it's a crowd pleaser, and people like get a lot of the the eyes closed, slow head nods on that one. People like really feeling it. That's a great that's a great feeling just to watch crowds just like fully like immersed in a song. Um, and since we've played it like. 2000 times like, we were pretty good at that one <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's very few mistakes usually when we play that one live uh given to the grave is always fun too just because uh Devin and i get to just like solo at the same time and it's just improvised solos so that song can go any any direction that one's that one's pretty fun and honestly there's only there's not really any of them that i don't enjoy playing i am excited yeah. Whenever it happens, like I think the new shit's gonna be probably end up being my favorite stuff to play live, just because it's sort of like calculated for like maximum impact. So I think that'll yeah, be yeah, live. perfect. Well, Brett, thank you very much for for taking your time. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to hear the record ahead of schedule, and it's fucking brilliant. Like, if you're a Paul Bearer fan, you're gonna fucking love it. So. But also excited that there might be new music in the not-too-distant yeah. future as well. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, thank you very much for your time, Brett. And as I say, hopefully we see you over in the UK a lot sooner rather than later. I hope so, man. It'd be great to get over and see all my friends and shit over there too. So I'm, I'd like to get out and be in the world again. <laughs> yeah, man. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you, as always, to Brett for taking some time out of his day. Um, I know this one might have seemed like it was kind of rattled through a little bit, but I only had a set amount of time with Brett and I wanted to hit all the relevant points. And I think I think we did it. I think we did a really cool little chat and it was really nice to, to chat with him. Um, the band's new album is out now. Uh, we obviously discussed it during the chat, but by the time this was come out, the release date has since passed. So you can go listen to their new record on all various streaming platforms or you can head over to Nuclear Blast and pick up a physical copy which I would recommend doing. Um, as always if you want to keep up to date with everything that Paul Bearer are doing we will put all their social media platforms in the episode notes of this show. Um, but yeah that's pretty much it for another week. Going to keep this outro short and sweet. Haven't got anything else to really yeah nothing else to really talk about for, for this week. Um, as I say, got a couple more sort of uh, interviews in the can, so they'll be coming in the coming weeks. Um, maybe doing something new towards the end of the year. I haven't decided yet. We're going to see how it plans out. But as always, we're going to have great guests for you. So tune in week out, week in, week out. As always, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 168th time you're listening to the show, really, really appreciate it. As always, if you can um, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, rate, review, all that wonderful stuff, share, like, blah, 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 Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, do your biz. Um, but for now, thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon. Bye.